Hello, I'm Bishop Shane Parker, and this is ADO on the Move for Saturday, October 3rd, 2020. Welcome to Season 2 of ADO on the Move. It's my privilege as the Bishop of this wonderful Diocese of Ottawa to travel from place to place, connecting with people and connecting people with one another. Today's episode begins just outside our cathedral in downtown Ottawa, where I have a conversation with Albert Dumont, whom I've recently appointed as Indigenous Advisor to the Bishop. So I'm here with my good friend, Southwind, Albert Dumont, and we're looking out over the Gatineau Hills. Mm-hmm. We can't quite see Akikojuan, Albert, but we know it's just uh, over yeah. the rise there, the yeah. Chaudière Falls, and it's a good day to be meeting with you, Albert. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. It's good to be here, too, yeah. Shane. Albert, you are now my Indigenous advisor, Indigenous advisor to the bishop. And I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for, for taking on that role. I look forward to working with you in the years ahead. I'm wondering, Albert, if you could talk a little bit about your community right now, the Algonquin community, and um, some of the good things and challenging things that, that your community faces at this time, especially concerning uh, non-Indigenous people. Okay, first of all, I just want to say that I'm very honoured that you've asked me to, to advise you on on occasion with things uh, with, which uh, impact the, the Algonquin community within the perimeters of your diocese. Now, as far as the, my community goes with the Algonquins of uh, Kitigan-Zibi, uh, you know, uh, we uh, uh, overall, I think I could say that uh, we have so many successes up there, like, like the the young people are very um, uh, ambitious, and they're they're uh, very interested in their their rights. They want to know more about culture, and I help out however I can uh, to help along with with these things. Right now, there's uh, issues with the uh, with hunters in in La Verandry Park, which is Algonquin territory, of course. The uh, the Algonquins know that the uh, moose count is down, and and what they've done uh, last year and again this year only this this year they're taking it more seriously. They're they're stopping us. They want the uh, sports moose hunters mm-hmm. to stay out of the park for a couple of years, I guess, until the moose population uh, goes gets higher, mm-hmm. and uh, so the. Uh, and that's causing a lot of tension between uh, the, the the people of Man- Manawaki and the uh, and the neighboring, neighboring towns such as Mont Laurier or Valdor or or whatever the case Grand Remou I don't know but but so there's going to be some tension there between the communities uh, 
and uh, I think it's already some of the uh, non-native moose hunters who are in the park now are, are already uh, starting to uh, push with a little bit of violence like mm -hmm. somebody was knocked down at one of the uh, barricades from a truck that just drove through uh, I know that the uh, there's lots of people who feel that the that uh, that the indigenous peoples have too many rights, mm -hmm. and if and if only they could uh, sit back and 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 hear the other side of the story. If only if only they could have uh, I don't know. I, it just popped into my mind. Maybe their feet, uh, their their fake leaders, could uh, speak about uh, about indigenous rights and and why we have certain rights and mm -hmm. why they should be upheld by the uh, by the uh, community. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not something that should just be to talked about by politicians yes. and say that we have rights. You know, and and the prime ministers to make some eloquent uh, speech somewhere about it. There needs to be action. The 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 the, uh, the the Canadian uh, public in general needs to be educated on uh, on our rights and and why we have them. Mm -hmm. uh, then maybe there maybe there won't be less tension, and and if and if there is, well then it's from straight up racist people who who don't want us to have any rights and yeah. who would prefer that we weren't here. I know there's some people who believe that this country. Uh, is being pulled down because of the presence of indigenous peoples. They they really don't think we serve any purpose, and it's our lands. And as it, as it's been for many many thousands of years, mm -hmm. we've been oppressed for a long time, for many generations. And it's not we're not going to recover from that just overnight. You know, it's going to take a couple of generations or a few generations for for our people to get their their act together uh, as it was. I think their rightful place. At least mm -hmm. that's how I see it. Yeah, and it's so good, uh, Shane, that that you are uh, uh, making the overtures to our chiefs and to our leadership, uh, and uh, just letting them know the the position of the Anglican Church or of yourself to 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 work with the with the Algonquins so that <clears throat> so that we so that there will be peace and harmony yes. between uh, uh, yeah, at least the Anglicans and and the uh, Algonquins yeah. in, in, in this in this region here. Well, thanks, Albert. I remember you saying once that, you know, our, our community will be strong when Indigenous and non-Indigenous people are strong together. Yeah. And um, would you say the best place for that to begin is for non-Indigenous people to understand the, the stories and the rights of indigenous people is that the starting point to listen carefully and learn i i think that if if uh if the people of faith uh understood that the indigenous people were also a people of faith but their spirituality was different you know we didn't learn from um, from a book or, or things like this, you know, it, it it's uh, the indigenous spirituality is uh, is is compiled and presented in in true storytelling, mm -hmm. true uh, the, 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 the 
the, the talking about of what of what makes sense and why we should do this or shouldn't do this. What, you know why it's wrong to uh, to steal, for instance, or why mm. it's wrong to uh, you know a, 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 any any of the command commandments, for instance. Mm. We have stories on all those things yes. on why it's wrong to do that. We, we, we didn't we didn't write them down though in a book. We, they were every generation. There were storytellers. There were faith leaders, who or spiritual mm -hmm. people who tended to that in the community, yeah. especially in the winter time. The winter time was pretty much set aside for, for the sake of spirituality, and, and I think that the uh, that once the, the the people who came here from other parts of the planet understood that that that, that we had spiritual beliefs. And then we could respect each other, you know. Yes. It's, they, they, it, it's often uh, believed that that our, that our uh, spirituality was connected somehow to the to demons or, or whatever, and, mm -hmm. and it's so not true, you know. It's, it's connected to Creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that a lot of um, a lot of Christians don't realize is that the roots of what we would call our Bible or our sacred scripture all came from storytelling. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the stories were simply told and passed on literally around a fireplace, in yeah, a sense. Yeah. And in that way, we have a lot in common that, you know, the, the storytelling, the moral code, the moral yeah. teachings were, were yeah. uh, passed on in that way, and also the spiritual beliefs. Yeah. And uh, I always like to think that uh, it's a little bit blasphemous to think that God wasn't at work on Turtle Island long before Anglicans got here, yeah. <laughs> you know? I think Creator was at work... Uh, revealing uh, what it means to be whole as a human being yeah. and what it means to live a good life and to be close to Creator long before we got here. Yeah. And uh, I believe we have more in common than not, Albert, at yeah. a deep, deep spiritual level. Yeah. And uh, I hope my uh, fellow Anglicans uh, come to understand that so that we can listen respectfully to one another and uh, learn from one another. Yeah. But at the heart of it, I... I believe very strongly that it's uh, creating a space for Algonquin people, for Indigenous people, for First Nations, Métis, Inuit, uh, to be able to tell their stories so that we can listen carefully and be able to know those stories and, and, and tell them also, you know, to others. So I, I'm so grateful to you, Albert, for sharing your wisdom with me and with uh, the Anglican Diocese of Ottawa. You've greatly enriched our life and you've greatly enriched my life, Albert, and, and I'm always grateful for that. The central offices of our diocese are housed in an old lumber baron's house on the corner of Sparks and Bronson. It's known to us as John Charles Roper House, or JCR House, and it's currently undergoing extensive repair. It was in very, very bad shape, and we had to do something quickly. While we're waiting for those repairs and remediations to conclude, our refugee ministry office is being housed at the Church of St. Thomas the Apostle on Alta Vista Drive. I visited the Refugee Ministry Office last week and spoke with our Senior Refugee Ministry Officer, Joyce Kavrat, about what's been happening 
in that ministry over the last several months. Joyce, good to see you here in your temporary digs. Yes, temporary for some time now, actually. For some time as we wait for JCR House to be finished. Yeah. Yeah. I just will describe to folks listening, I'm looking over a sea of file folders. Each one represents a person who is now a refugee who will eventually come to Canada under the auspices of a sponsorship group of some kind, but importantly, under the auspices of our diocesan refugee ministry. Joyce, tell me what's been happening over the last while, especially with the pandemic. Well, our arrivals stopped in March. There were no more arrivals, and that was very unfortunate for, for people who really need to be traveling to Canada. However, These were folks who had been all set, ready to go, yes, who suddenly couldn't... They, they actually had their permanent resident mm-hmm. visas issued. So that was paused until July, and now they have started arriving again. Mm-hmm. And we have one family arrived at the end of July, another one last week, and I have six in process to mm-hmm. arrive this fall. So that is great that that's started again. But at the same time, the ins and outs of life mm-hmm. here, we're still submitting, of course, and, and that's been a challenge. Um, when you say submitting, that means you're Submitting making... applications for people to come. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, so many spaces to fill each year, and uh, we're working very hard on those very complex mm-hmm. applications. In this year, Joyce, uh, there was the interruption in people actually coming here. These are mm-hmm. people whose applications were approved and so on. How many new arrivals will there be this year? How many people are well, being brought in in 2020? Yeah. Well, that's very hard to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, we only we only know of those who actually had their permanent resident visas in their hands mm-hmm. that are coming. But there's 174 still to come that are on our books, so to speak, that are overseas, sponsored, and waiting to come. So, 174 people. Yes. They will not arrive this year. No. I mean, some of those are, sponsorships are new. It takes a good year. Mm-hmm. It used to take a year from submission of the application to arrival, but with COVID, all of that is backed up because there are no interviews happening overseas uh, yet. So what that so means is, is refugees remain refugees mm-hmm. much longer than they would have anticipated. Yes, yeah. yes, under some pretty pretty Terrible dire circumstances. Yeah. So we're a very, very busy ministry. Talk a little bit about how what role our refugee ministry office plays with other groups or individuals in the community who wish to sponsor refugees. Why do they connect with our diocese's refugee ministry office? Well, they, they find us on the government website as a SAW. Okay, and so, SAW. Tell us about uh, that. As a sponsorship agreement holder. Mm, sorry, right. the acronyms of life here. Typically, today, for example, I have many, many calls that come through. They're kind of cold calls. Mm-hmm. They, they leave messages. I've stopped picking up international calls because I just can't deal mm-hmm. with people overseas with crying children. It's just too harrowing. But I find it very hard to deal with the number of people who are calling here and emailing us. But basically, they are people saying, we have family overseas, please help us sponsor. And today, a man called me seven times in a row. 
And I, I did pick up then, but those are long conversations where I have to explain, and this is not a pleasant moment at all. I have to explain that you may, you may think you can do this as a family member. You may have the money as well, but I need, I need a sponsoring group to attach yes. you to. And, and that's, that's, that's my plug for right. parishes. Yes. I, I don't have enough sponsoring groups to attach a family member locally to do the sponsorship. And so for you and your colleagues in the Refugee Ministry Office, you were able to enable a sponsoring group to do their work. You do not directly sponsor refugees from from our office. So So we need need to coordinate people to do that. So our Refugee Ministry work as a diocese is to enable organized groups of people to sponsor refugee families. It's, It's... Critical work, and if we didn't share our sponsorship agreement privileges, that would not happen. No, no. Yeah. So our reach is quite extensive throughout the community. It's not just Anglican parishes who are sponsoring people; it's many different groups in the community yes, because we've been yes, generous with yes. our agreement. Yes, and, and in the Syrian surge, you might call it in fifteen sixteen, many community groups formed, and we were very happy to enable that to happen. And some of those groups are still sponsoring with us. They sponsored initially in those years, and then the family members of, of the families they sponsored wanted uh, families to arrive, and, and so they've continued with that work. So our reach is large into mm-hmm. the community, again, not, not just parishes. That's true. And across religions as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jewish Family Services, we have mosques, uh, Muslim associations. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Important um, interfaith collaboration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the conversation I had today, having to say that I can't match you. But then, on the other hand, there is a parish in the process of sponsoring a large family, and I received their photographs today. Hmm. And that was a great moment where... I saw the photographs. I knew these people would eventually come, and I could look them in the eye and say, "Brought to safety." Yeah, and yeah. say, "You are coming." Uh, when I look at other photographs and I can't help them, it's not a, it's not a pleasant. Yeah, it's yeah. it's harrowing. So that's the extremes mm-hmm. of my day, for example. Yeah, Joyce, for folks, our, our brothers and sisters across our diocese, as you say, organizing into to sponsorship groups is still really, really important because the demand is not going down. Mm-hmm. For those who are unable to organize groups, funding the Refugee Ministry Office mm-hmm. would be a really good way of being involved in, in Absolutely. refugee ministry. Absolutely yeah. helpful. Yeah. Because our collective resources are going a long way to fund this mm-hmm. office, mm-hmm. but private donations or parish donations of funding for refugee ministry work through this office are really valuable. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. In ever so many ways, staffing and other costs, yeah. obviously. Well, Joyce, I know that your day is a bit of a roller coaster and it's always busy. Again, I'm looking over a sea of applications and I'm very struck by how they, it's not just paper. Each pile represents a family's life yeah, or an individual's life. And I'm glad someone with your compassionate heart and good mind is uh, helping this happen. So thank you so very much, Joyce. You're welcome. It's good to be reminded that this pandemic affects everyone on planet Earth, especially those who live precariously. 
I conclude today's podcast by sharing some more wisdom from Albert Dumont, who talks to us about something else we all share in common, and that is water. So far as I'm aware, a creator never gave us a ceremony for to uh, honor dead water. And, yes. and, uh, and, uh, and, and that's because creator never expected that human, there would come a day where human beings would, would kill water. But, but that's what the world is doing today. You know, our life source, uh, we're killing it, we're poisoning it every day, especially now with this COVID-19 pandemic, that there's uh, so much plastics. So, you know, we're using plastic more and more because of COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're killing our waters. And, and I think spirituality and common sense and respect for each other's fates is the way to go. ADO on the Move is a production of the Anglican Diocese of Ottawa with sound editing by Nicholas Piper, harp music by Gordon Johnson, and production assistance by Heidi Fawcett. May the gentle peace of Christ be with you and those you love on earth and in heaven. God bless and talk soon.